Um, okay, so let me, let me try to catch you up really quickly on this series. It's, a, it's kind of a weird title. It's called From Pierced to Power. From Pierced to Power. And I need to go just back to the, the series we did before that. So just in case, you know, you weren't here for any of that. At the beginning of the year, we did a series called In Due Time, D-U-E, In Due Time. And we talked about what it looks like to birth revival, right? So um, Mother's Day seems like an appropriate time to remember birthing. Um, but we talked about how God's birthing revival through his church. And so we've, we got done with that. And then we moved into this series called From Pierce to Power. And we're going from basically what happened between the resurrection and Pentecost, right? What happened on the earth? A lot of times what we think is, hey, Jesus just rose from the dead and then took off and got out of here. But he was actually on the earth 40 days, and then he ascended into heaven, and there were 10 more days before Pentecost. And so what happened? Why, why did he stay? What was he doing for those 40 days? And what we said last week is that he was helping, he's helping his followers who were still wounded. You ever had somebody tell you to get over it? And you wanted to slap them? It's because you weren't over it, right? And so sometimes we want people to move along, and they don't move as fast as we want them to. And so what we talked about last week is that Jesus recognized, hey, when we get cut, when we get pierced, when we're wounded, there's some things that we have to get worked out of us before we can put his holy fire in us. And that's what happened at Pentecost. So last week we talked about doubt. Anybody ever struggle with doubt? Probably. And we talked about how on the day, the very day that Jesus was risen from the dead, how many times he appeared to people on that one day, and they were full of doubt. And then the very last one we talked about was the disciples, that he appeared to them that night, the evening of the first resurrection. So it would be first Easter evening, right? You know, how we celebrate Easter is we eat a lot of food, and then we fall asleep and take a nap. How they celebrated Easter was locked up in a room not really sure what was going on. And it says that Jesus walked through the walls and appeared to them. And they were like, holy cow, Jesus is really alive. And it so impacted their lives that eight days later, they were still in a room locked up. And he had to walk through the walls again and appear to them again. Sometimes we experience pain and hurt and, and doubt in such a way that we just can't get over it. And so I'm so thankful that Jesus helps us navigate that, right? He helps us kind of walk from, well, I'm, I've still got these wounds. These men, these women had seen Jesus, who they had put all their hopes on, killed. And even after he resurrected, they were still like, we don't really know what's going on. So today I want to talk, take the next step. What are some things that he's dealing with um, in us, in his, in his disciples between Easter and Pentecost to prepare them for the power that he wants to pour out? Because if you pour something really valuable into something that's really broken, what happens? You waste what's valuable, right? We've got to be able to hold this fire that he wants to give us. And so when I was talking to God about today, I was like, hey, it's also Mother's Day. So please, God, let me mail this one in. Let me just do a fun message that makes everybody smile and laugh, and then we'll go eat lunch. And, you know, God in such a gracious way was like, eh, no. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn to um, Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. We're going to read that, and then we're going to talk about um, just very quickly what he dropped in my heart. 
we don't always do Mother's Day messages. We don't always, like, change everything specifically for what's going on. Um, and so I even said to God, like, can we not talk about, the, about mothers? Just talk about, like, Peter or something like that. I had a whole way I wanted to go. And then he showed me this verse, and it's like God just said, man, that's what we need to talk about today because all of us can relate to this. Are you there, Luke chapter 2? Verses 34 through 35, it's also on the screen. Then Simeon, now this Simeon is, is an older gentleman. He's been in the temple. He's been looking for the Messiah, okay? So we're, we're flashing all the way back to when Jesus was first born, okay? So he's about eight days old. They go into the temple. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child, that's Jesus, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Are you with me? This isn't good, y'all. If you pick that up, he said, okay, Jesus is destined to um, cause division. He's destined to cause disgust. He'll be a sign that will be spoken against. And then he'll also reveal people's hearts. So he's also going to expose people. If you're Mary and you're hearing this and you're looking at your sweet little baby and you're like, oh, that's not, that sounds horrible. And then it got worse. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. We're talking about moving from pierced to power. And I want to talk today about grudges and grace. Okay. Now, let me set this up. At our first church, um, I was youth pastoring, and I was preaching on a youth Sunday because, you know, when you're a youth pastor, that's the one time they give you the mic. And after you get the mic on youth Sunday, people realize, oh, that's why they only have that once a year, right? <laughs> it's probably, it probably works well for everybody involved. But I had the mic. I was preaching, and we had, um, like, the teenagers had done some kind of, this was back when teenagers would, like, paint their faces white and do, like, dance that looked like bad mime, right? And they didn't say anything, um, it, but they would like play a contemporary worship song and they would just make up motions. And anyway, it was Napoleon Dynamite before Napoleon Dynamite. So they did it and I'm the youth pastor and I'm just like, I'm expecting the adults just to just erupt with applause and like, way to go. Cause like, that's what we should do. We should cheer on, oh, you don't believe that. We should cheer on the next generation, right? Like, even when they fall flat on their face, I'm not saying give them a participation trophy. I'm just saying, like, at least be like, wait, hey, good try, right? We should cheer them on. And so when they got finished, the church was kind of like what y'all just were. <sighs> and, then I, and then it was time for me to preach. And boy, did I let them have it. Yeah, I'm sure it was Jesus. I'm sure. Um, but I preached. And I preached, and I preached, and at some point, I preached so long, I think Wendy had to go to the bathroom. I think you might have even, I, I, anyway, she had to go out in the hall. She goes out in the hall, and she's coming back around the corner, and as she's getting ready to come around the corner into the foyer, she heard two old men talking. And one old man said to the other, are they done yet? And the other old man said something like, that fool's still talking. And then Wendy walked around the corner. 
And he said, <laughs> you don't recover from that. And it took Wendy a long, and she's, a, she's like the most gracious person on the planet. And if she'd have had a gun, that man would have gone to, I don't know if he'd have gone to see Jesus. He might have gone the other way. Right? It took her a long time to get over that one. You're the mother of Jesus. Now hang, I'm going somewhere. Hang with me. You're the mother of Jesus, and this man has just prophesied over your child that your child will be the reason that some people love him and hate him. Your child will be the reason why some people are put in positions of power and some are taken out. Would you like to be the person who caused the president to lose the election and have to face something like people like their power, Right? And Jesus is going to be the one that takes people out or puts them in. That he's going to be a sign that would be spoken against. Basically, Simeon said to Mary, um, so what Wendy experienced when one man said one thing about her husband, you're going to get it all the time. Everywhere you go, you're going to hear people speak against your son. And then he says, and, and he's going to reveal the hearts. Can you imagine Mary being there when Jesus has the woman caught in adultery brought to him and thrown at his feet and she's watching this and she sees the angry mob and she sees Jesus confront them and reveal what's in their heart. We, we celebrate what a great moment it was for the woman caught in adultery and it was. But Mary saw those men walk away and start to figure out a way to kill Jesus. Have you ever thought about how Mary was full of opportunity to be full of bitterness and grudges? And then God dropped this bombshell on me. Well, she probably wasn't offended by the Pharisees. But how does she feel about Peter? Who walked with her son. Who heard him teach. And denied him. Not once or twice, but three times. And Jesus took me to John chapter 21. That amazing story about, you know, again, this is, we're talking about what happened between the resurrection and Pentecost. And this is what, another one of those pictures I told you last week. If you're ever full of doubt about Jesus, like, I believe in Jesus, why isn't my life changing? If, and maybe you don't say that, but why can't I get over this? Or why, why don't I feel like I have a destiny? Why, does, why, do, why do we celebrate Easter and the next week I feel like everything's exactly the same? If you can relate to that, you can relate to Peter. Because it says at the beginning of John chapter 1, this is after the resurrection. You with me? After Jesus had appeared to them. We're going in chronological order. So Jesus has walked through walls twice now and presented himself to his disciples. And it was so life-changing that it says, after Jesus appeared again, the second time, to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and, and it appeared this way. Simon Peter, here's how it happened. He was out with Thomas, Nathaniel, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. And Simon said, I'm going to go fish. The resurrection of Jesus so impacted this man who had followed him for three years. He just went back to fishing. And Jesus was alive now. 
I'm talking to the church, right? Again, if you're here and you're not following Jesus, I'm just honored that you're with us. And I pray that you see something authentic in us that makes you hunger for something real from God. But this is a message to the church right now. That you've seen God move, and you've gone back to whatever you were doing before. That's where these men were. Peter, who was a leader, said, I'm going to go fish. And the other one said, well, we'll go with you because he was a leader. And he was leading these men away from what God had called him to do. And I'm reading this story about how Jesus appears to them. And we get to the end of the chapter, and it talks about how Jesus reinstates. He gives grace to Peter, right? And I don't have time to do a deep dive teaching on this, but I'll just tell you this. Three times Peter, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Right? And it goes like this. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Sound like a parent-teenager conversation, right? And then it says in the Bible the third time Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was sad because Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, you know all things, God. You know I love you. I mean, do any of you read this stuff and go, what? are they? I mean, how many times do you have to say it? You have to go into the Greek to understand this, right? There's different words for love in the Greek. And so the real conversation went like this. Jesus said, Peter, do you agape me? Which means, do you love me with the kind of love that only the Father can give? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And phileo does not mean to tear open. Phileo is like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo is like friendship love. And so the first time Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Like heaven wants you to love me. Peter said, "Uh, yeah, God, I love you like a friend, pal. Jesus asked, asked one question. Peter answered a different question. And so the second time Jesus said, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter said, yeah, I already said it. I'm like your buddy. Jesus is my homeboy. I phileo you. And then the third time Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me? And that's why it says in the Bible that the third time Peter was sad. Because he realized, oh, snap, I can't fool this guy. He knows that I only flow him. And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I only love you like a friend. Yes, Jesus is reinstating Peter. And yes, maybe he asked him three times because Peter denied him three times. I just think Peter's so thick-headed and stubborn. It took three times for Peter to finally be honest about where he was. Now, hang with me, okay? I feel like I'm probably, like you're, you're teaching two, two messages at one time. Let's finish this up. I want you to see this, that when Peter was honest, Jesus gave him his destiny. Not when he was perfect. <laughs> Can somebody in the room say amen, right? Because if it's, if it's for perfect people, I'm out, right? I'm not perfect. But if it's for honest people, People who will say to the Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. And this is where I am. I want to be here, but this is where I am right now. And in this place of honesty, Jesus said, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He was telling him, this is your life now. You have less choices 
because you have more passion. And I'm going to, you're going to be led by people. You're going to be killed by people. Things are going to be done to you because now you're honest. And in that honest place, I can lead you. You with me? Is it making sense? Okay. Now for the dramatic conclusion. Dun-dun-dun. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I see things that aren't in it. And I know what you're thinking. The doctrine police just came out, right? They're like, no, dude, only preach what's in the Bible because now you're a heretic. I don't mean it like that. I mean, sometimes I read the Bible and, and I, I wonder what happened beyond that story. And again, this is just me, right? So don't take this as gospel like truth and make a doctrine out of it and base your whole life off of it. But I think if you'll give me some latitude, I think this makes sense to me. When Peter left that story in John chapter 21, he then was going to live out the entire book of Acts. You with me? And guess who lived out the entire book of Acts with Peter? Mary. The mother of the Lord that he denied, that he lied to twice here. I mean, do you have people in your life, y'all? That like if they came in here right now and said, I've given my heart to Jesus, she'd be like, right. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure you have. Heard that before, buddy. Do you have those people? Is this too honest for y'all? Am I being too much like Jesus right now? <laughs> being really authentic? Like we all have those people. God can save the whole world except that one person. Now let's bring it into the church. You, you can... You can do one of two things with people who have offended you. You can hold a grudge or you can give grace. And if we're birthing revival, and I believe that we are, I believe that there's something so beautiful about what's happening in the gathering, right? I mean, I talk to, I talk to too many other pastors in other places and tell them what's happening, and they're just like, that's not happening where we are. There's something so raw and beautiful and authentic about how you're pr pursuing the presence of God. And again, we say this all the time, revival is not like swinging from chandeliers, because we don't have any, or from light bars, which would be cool if I could jump that high. Revival is simply being aware of, right, and responding to the presence of God. That's what revival is. If we're aware of his presence and respond to his presence everywhere at every time, revival, would, it would change our city. Right now, you're standing in the line at Walmart, and again, we've, we've mentioned this before. Instead of being so mad that they will not open up another aisle for you, you're praying for the person behind the register who is also like, I wish my coworker would open up another aisle. And instead of you being mad that they're not meeting your need, you're praying for them that God would meet their need. And by the time you get to them, you're in a different place. You can minister to them. That's being aware of and responding to the presence of God. It's not just an in-church thing. It's an in-the-church thing, right? That's revival. But I'm going to tell you right now, what will kill it faster than anything else is you being offended by people sitting next to you. Who will let you down? As a matter of fact, let's just have some therapy right now. Turn to the person next to you, if you know them, and say, you let me down.
Some of y'all are like, well, I mean, thank you for letting me tell them that. Can I tell them again? Sure, go ahead. Right, go ahead. John Bevere does this great teaching called The Bait of Satan. He talks about offenses. And one of the things that stood out to me was somebody mentioned to him one time, why is it that we get so offended by people in the church, but we really don't get offended by people outside the church? Like, why does it create such an offense when it's our brother or our sister? And this was his answer. I thought this was so good. He said, well, it's because people that aren't following Jesus, our expectation level of them is about right here. But when they become Christians, our expectation level is about up here. And it's so easy for them not to meet that expectation, right? And so we say it all the time. There's a gap between what you expect and what you experience. And when you encounter that gap, the question is, what will you do? Will you believe the best or will you assume the worst? And I, it grieves me to say it, y'all, but Christians, well, we have to define terms here. Church people who may or may not be Christians and Christians who may or not be Christians, but, I mean, followers of Jesus is what we want to be. But church people are the, we've like made assuming the worst a sport. So without over-spiritualizing this, because I don't think we have to, I think it's pretty good on its own. And we need to get to a place where we can respond. I would say this, that, that and now moms in the room, there's nobody on the planet that believes the best about somebody in light of contrary evidence than moms, right? I mean, I'm always, it's not, I shouldn't be laughing, but like if there's a mass murder on your street, they're going to interview that mass murderer's mom. And what is she going to say? He's the sweetest guy. Well, the 12 people that are gone might not agree, right? Like, they just can't quite, they can't comprehend how my child could have done that, right? And we look at them and go, oh, you poor misguided person. She's a mom. She believes the best. And let's bring that into the church. If she loves Jesus, she believes in the best, to do the best, right? Moms are amazing. They're amazing. I, I've told you a story before about how I used to sleepwalk, and one morning I was eating breakfast, and my mom got up, and she was sitting at the table with me, and she told me play by play about the night before about how I had gotten up from the bed, and she had heard me make noise, and she followed me down the hall into the front part of the house, and she watched me go into the kitchen, and I opened up the refrigerator, and I closed it, and I went to the den, and I sat in my dad's recliner, picked up the remote control, pretended like I was turning on TV, Put the control back down, got up, went back into the, fr- into the kitchen, looked in the fridge again. Apparently, even when you're sleepwalking, we checked twice to see if something might have magically appeared, right? <laughs> then I closed the fridge, and I, I went back down the hall and got in the bed. And she tells me all of this. I'm like, I did all that? And she said, yeah, buck naked. <laughs> wow. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> and you watched? <laughs> What? what? Moms are just a strange breed, y'all. They just believe the be- You know, I'm thinking the whole time she's like, that's my boy. <laughs> um, uh, yep, <laughs> that's one way to say it. 
Sure, right. Moms just believe the best. Now, now listen. We were created male and female. Hang with me. Don't amen yet. We were created male and female because male and female are both part of God. I don't mean to make this a weird thing. Just hang with me. It's not like men are the glory of God and women aren't, or women are and men aren't. Like male and female, we were created because God has all of those attributes within him. Okay? So when we say, like, Mary chose grace over grudges, this is not a message to say, well, you moms, y'all are the worst grudge holders in the world. Now, there might be some scientific data that shows that women hold on to a grudge longer than men. I don't know, and I'm too scared to find out. (laughs) But all of us have held grudges. Some of y'all still, you guys still got one. There are people that are not here today because they have a grudge. And there are people that, bless you, that are here today in the building, and we know you have a grudge. It's not hidden from us just because you're here, right? Like, we're carrying these things. And, and we will not bring Jesus to our city if we hold on to that grudge. So, I said all of that. My church loves it. If you're visiting, I'm, I'm the worst at saying, after 30 minutes of talking, I said all of that to say this. Because you're like, just say this next time, right? Forget all that stuff. All that lead up to tell you this. It cost Mary something to give Jesus to the world. Oh, yeah. You should write that one down. It cost Mary something to give Jesus to the world. We talked about in due time, like birthing revival. Y'all, it cost Mary something to carry Jesus. It cost her her reputation. But we just read what Simeon said. When she birthed Jesus into the world, it cost her something. A soul, her sword, her, uh, her soul was pierced with a sword. Now, the Greek word for pierced. Oh, I love this, y'all. The Greek word for pierced means to pass through. We're not called to keep Jesus. He's supposed to pass through us to a lost world. And it will cost us something for him to pass through us. It'll cost us more if we try to keep him to ourselves. Right? But it's going to cost us something. And here's what it's going to cost you. That same Jesus that causes the rising and falling of many, that same Jesus that is a sign to be spoken against, that reveals the hearts of men, he's operating in this room. Which means that all of us are going to find ourselves up and down, exposed. We're all going to find ourselves from time to time speaking against what Jesus is doing. Because we're human. And when we hear other people do those things that are believers, the choice we're going to be faced with is this. Are we going to be offended and hold a grudge? Are we going to be forgiving and offer grace? And if we choose to hold the grudge, that's the end of revival. He can't move through that. The minute we do this, he's like, I'm done there. I can't do anything there. But when we say, I'll offer. Okay. Now, that's a per- that's, that, those are people I can work through. And, yeah, their, their soul is pierced, and there's hurt there, and I'm going to heal that. But I can help when there's that. So I want to pray over you. Before we all eat, I want to pray that, that you would find forgiveness. 
Some of you need forgiveness, but some of you need to give it. Man, do you, we need to give forgiveness, y'all. As a matter of fact, as you, as you, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I don't want you to be looking around. I want you to think and ask the Lord to show a face to you right now. Is there a face right now? And it would be easier to hold the grudge than it would be to give grace. And again, I'm thinking about moms because moms sometimes exhibit this so well. Your children can say the most hateful things to you, and you will still bake them a pie. Bake them cookies. Somehow, you're still able to give, but here's the reality. In the giving, sometimes I think we hold on to the hurt in the heart, and it turns into a grudge. And I feel like what God asked me to say today was to just call you to a place where you will let that grudge go. Even if you're giving your whole life away, whether you're a mom or a dad or this is for the body of Christ, we can hide our pain in service, y'all. And we don't get points for that. Because ultimately that's not helping anybody. What we need to do is relinquish the grudge. And so... Would you just take a moment, and, and if God has given you, if you see a face, then that's probably somebody, a relationship you need to lean into, and you need to offer grace and not hold a grudge in that area. And if, if, if the Holy Spirit is giving you that right now, then he also wants to give you the grace to extend. It's not from you. It's agape, right? It's agape love that comes from the Father through us to the people that need it. And all he's asking you to do is say, I'll be, I'm willing to be a vessel, God. Because you've forgiven me, I'm willing to offer that forgiveness. Lord, I, I pray specifically for moms. I'm not trying to read your mind, Mom. I'm not trying to pray an agenda. I'm just going to pray for you what I feel like the, the Spirit put on my heart. God, I pray right now for moms in this room and watching online who have served and served and served and given of themselves. And yet still in their heart, they know right now there's this thing. And I'm praying that you would meet them right now and just help them to lay the grudge down. We're not going to serve so that people will see that they need to come back and make it right. Give us the agape love of the Father to simply serve because it's who you are. And as we refresh others, moms, the Bible says that you will also be refreshed. And over this family, Lord, I pray that you would continue to mark us as a people who are quick to give grace and slow to pick up a grudge. It's hard, God. There are opportunities everywhere, but we choose grace over grudges. In Jesus' name, amen.